As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to our new fantastic show, Business for Entrepreneurs. We want to share the real stories of real people who, like us, are running their own business. For them, their business is their passion. And for them, business is personal. Okay, so welcome back to another show of Business for Entrepreneurs. And today we're welcoming um, an interesting character to say the least, um, an accountant, uh, a cage fighter, um, a, a business-minded individual, um, but an all-round top bloke. Welcome, Lee. How are you? Not all bad, Jim. Yourself? Yeah, we're, we're good, mate. We're good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. It, we, it, it's an interesting time at the moment. Uh, and I would, well, I, I'd like to think accountants are rather busy, if, uh, if I'm not correct. Yeah, yeah, definitely a busy time. So um, basically, we've been involved in all sorts of it, other than the actual accountancy side of my job. So most of the stuff has been furlough claims. It's been how do we return to work? How does the flexible furlough work? It's been grant applications, bounce back loan applications, and then all you see bills stuff as well. But that's the company we basically done all of our furlough clients just to make it a bit easier, really. Was furlough something that you actually knew a lot about? previously because it was quite new to all of us wasn't it never heard of the word before in my life <laughs> i don't think anyone had so <laughs> has that been quite a sort of a thing that you've had to get your head around yeah yeah it's relatively straightforward and simple and um if you're if you're an accountant or involved in this side of the world and the finance thing then as long as you're keeping good records with your with your payroll submissions and things like that it wasn't that complicated to introduce I could see how it could really confuse people that are not haven't really got much to grips with their own payroll. So if people weren't yeah. doing it themselves, it can be quite complicated because it's just a case of you were reducing the salary and then how that then affects the NI and the tax and everything else and what we can claim and how we use the portal. But to me, the HMRC were great because I didn't I didn't predict that they were going to be on time with that framework. I thought they were going to still be working on it now. So I'll be honest, I think the HMRC were great for that, to be honest. Oh, fair one. I mean, it's not very often someone gives a shout out to the HMRC, so we'll take that, Lee. They're <laughs> <laughs> not when they deserve it, you know what I mean? And in this situation, they do deserve it because they built they built the system from, from scratch in less than two months. You know what I mean? Because the, the pandemic and everything else and the lockdown was announced towards the end of March. And towards the end of April, we were no first furlough claims. So um, you can't really you can't really take a 
take a bad thought on that, to be honest. I predicted it'd be June because I didn't think that they'd have the infrastructure to get it in place. Well, it was yeah. nice when people started getting paid. And and for for people, I mean, we fell through the loop, so obviously we didn't furlough. Um, mm. But you know, we did have the same sort of financial uh, concerns and fears, the same as everybody else. You know, and you know that I'm not going to go too far into the pandemic at this stage of, of the podcast, but we're certainly going to get into it a bit more further down the line. I want to find out a bit more about you first, but. Um, yeah, I think everybody at this time um, was certainly worried financially uh, as well as anything else. You know, jobs, uh, there's, you know, the massive redundancies uh, have come out of all of this. And and I do think that, you know, it's, it's not, we're going to have an aftermath of this pandemic. Uh, and I, I think you guys are going to, as an accountant and, and HR, people are going to certainly be um, playing a big role in that. But before we go too deep, too quickly, mate. Um, the podcast is called Business for Entrepreneurs, right? Now you're you're an interesting character. Like I, we've known you now for a while, right? Um, and every time I have a conversation with you, I seem to get like more and more intrigued. What I want to know is, okay, first off, I mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the uh, the show. You were a cage fighter, am I right? Yeah, when I was young, when I was a bit younger. Yeah, I still keep my hand in with jujitsu and things now. Um, had a couple of fights, uh, trained with a couple of boys who were quite quite high and quite big now at the moment and fighting in the UFC and things. And then had a couple of bumps and towards my late 20s and had to retire. So I can't take any shots anymore. So no more striking. But I do keep my hand in with grappling, jiu-jitsu and things like that. Probably once every month or so. So I so go through stage. <clears throat> what got you cage fighting? Like, why? <laughs> well, I've been involved in martial arts since I was a child. So right. I started when I was around about five. And ever since then, I've been involved in some form of martial arts or competition up until now, really. So the most recent one was the Grips. About two years ago, I won a gold in the Welsh short. And that was just, I ended super heavyweight because I couldn't be asked cut weight, basically. I've got nothing on that. But like, so. Okay, so there has to be an obvious question here, right? Now, whenever someone says to me, an accountant, okay, I have a stereotypical vision of what an accountant would, could, or should look like, all right? Like most people, I think. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's a fair statement to make, right? Yeah. Well, you don't cut that cloth um, in the slightest. And no. yet you do have a passion about accountancy. So. Yeah. Where did that come from? So basically it's all about, so accountancy is structured. <clears throat> so step-based and structured. Now it's very similar to the world of jujitsu where once someone tells you how to do it, it's very simple. But until you find out how to do it, it's very difficult and you can't imagine that you'd ever be able to do it. So accountancy has got quite a lot in common with martial arts because everything's structured and in place. I mean, so there's always a plan, there's always a game plan and there's always a set way to do things correctly. Now, that then basically coupled with the the determination it takes to be a fighter and be training and stuff like that all the time, you know what I mean? So that with the determination builds itself quite well into the entrepreneurial side of things. Because in the beginning, like I said, I was like everyone else. I didn't have no clients. I didn't come from a structured background where I took clients with me. Everything I had to find, I found on my own. 
So it's just it's just that really, to be honest. Um, I've always been involved in accountancy or in finance because my father's run his own business since since I was born, really. So I've always seen the side of um, business around people, which is the entrepreneurial side, which is what I think makes us so much more different as an accountancy practice because all of my experience has come more from the commercial sector, so medium to larger entities. And then basically when I spent time in ICE, um, you could see that a lot of people in ICE or within ICE would benefit from the structured management reporting style of accounting that high street accountants don't offer unless you're a million pound or multi-million pound turnover. But the thing is, all tax is retrospective. People need a prediction. They need to know how much is my VAT bill going to be? How much is my tax bill going to be? Well, how do I do this? How do I look at cars? How do I do that? Your average accountant probably doesn't apply to you within, within the same day because they're ridiculously busy. And their niche is tax and tax saving, do you know what I mean? So that's where we sort of come in and identify the problem that a lot of smaller businesses are having and then move from there, basically. So and when you say ICE, um, for those of you who don't know what ICE is, ICE is the Welsh ICE. It's the um, Institute, hang on, I, can't, I can never remember what it is. Is it the... Innovation Centre for Enterprise and Wells Limited. There you go. Hey. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I should really have perhaps, you know, perhaps uh, got that in my head, but I just know it as Welsh ICE to say as everybody else who's, uh, who's there. So Welsh ICE is a, um, a collab um, multi-office kind of organisation, uh, and there's about 200 companies there. And obviously you're based there, Lee, and, and so are we. Uh, and in fact, that's where we met. Now, I think you're right. When when people talk about accountants, uh, I personally, I think accountants should have a good understanding of the business that they're working with so that they can get the account side right. Would you say that's a fair question or fair statement? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the, our biggest sales point it's not a sales pitch, but it's just a chat. But our biggest sales point is basically ask your accountant what you do if he can't tell you with the wrong person. Because ultimately, if you can't tell, if, if someone doesn't know what your day-to-day -day structure looks like, then how do they know what your day-to-day -day tax looks like? Do you know what I mean? Well, though, I got a slow network connection. Oh yeah, that's that's fine, mate. That we've got the same, but uh, I think they just call that live recording, mate. So don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> If that, when it comes to podcasts, I can just edit that out. If there isn't a problem, it will stay in. <laughs> and then we'll have a bit of a giggle about so, it. So, yeah, basically, um, yeah, where we are, you need to understand. You need to understand what your customer is doing as a business, do you know what I mean? Because if I see your day-to-day -day breakup, so what we try to do, <clears throat> what we try to do more than anything is we try to keep on top of more predicting stuff for people <clears throat> so what we tend to do is in the first three months we'd rather we do meetings anyway as part of the service we offer as part of the fixed packages we do the reason behind those is not just to talk about your profitability and everything else because we're there it's more so 90 percent of people that we deal with are within the first three years of business now in the first three years of business you might be an amazing rocketeer or engineer or software developer or a dog walker that doesn't necessarily mean you have a really good grasp on finance. And finance is a very individualized area where it's got set rules you've got to stick to what you're in trouble, basically. <clears throat> so what we tend to do then is we tend to get involved at that point 
and basically teach people how to read things like P&Ls, what's the importance of the balance sheet, what's the difference between a balance sheet and a P&L, do you know I mean? What are my key performance ind indicators? What do they look like? How is my system set up for automation, things like that. So that's yeah. where we tend to get involved a lot more. So then by the time we get to about the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh month, we can have more educated decisions because people actually understand the jargon then. So we always get involved as like a teaching sort of role in the beginning, just to make sure that people understand the decisions that they make. You know what I mean? So basically you teach people to look after their accounts. And assumingly that's work strong at the beginning, but then work easy at the, in, uh, at the end, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot of work in the beginning. Um, most of what we offer is always front heavy. So <clears throat> we take quite a financial hit in the first two to three months of having somebody on board, mainly because once we've set everything up and that, and, they keep, and they're used to coming to us, they're not going to go anywhere else because they're not going to get the service we offer anywhere else. I know that sounds yeah. very arrogant, it's true. We haven't got any competition at the moment, to be honest. Within, within, with, with how your platform works. I mean, we've had quite in-depth conversations about this platform, and, and yeah, I think, it's, I think it's very unique, to say the least. Someone is yeah. starting a business, uh, you basically offer everything from the financial side and what they need to do and what the legal requirements are. Yeah, so basically, um, if somebody wants to set up a business fresh out of the box, then our advice is always do not pay a formation company, it only costs 13 pounds. I mean, you don't need the formation company, they're a waste of money. So what we basically do is we'll set it up for you, we don't charge for that really, we just set it up for you, you pay the 12 quid. That's about it, that's your limited company incorporated and sorted. We'll then set up your zero account, we'll link it to all your bank accounts, we'll advise you on what bank account is available for you, whether it's Tide, Starling, High Street Bank, Revolut, depending on what your business does. So they've all sort of got their own little quirks. So depending on what your business does, then we'll have a conversation regarding what the best method of banking might be for your business going forward. Then we advise people on the setup structure, whether there's any grants and things available from, whether they need to be going to their local, uh, local council for the grant system, whether they've then got to look for other areas, or whether they want to be looking at building a company that could basically have seed investment at some point so then we want to make sure that it's got all the proper tax-free um, certificates and everything that goes with it so at that point we'll help you build it all out we'll put zero in place for you we set up a system called HubDoc as well which runs alongside zero for document capture we install all those apps on your phone and everything and show you how to do it and then literally all you have to do is raise invoices and go to work and we do the rest and that's pretty much it so okay I'm going to bring you back to sex because that information, what you've just said there, for anyone starting out a business, that's the that is the package in a box, right? Now, we're obviously we we run a partnership, okay, yeah. um, and a lot of people, you know, people talk a lot about sole trader, partnership, limited companies. What what is the? I, I know what the difference is, right? But give us a little bit of an insight into what the differences are. If, if I was listening, so if someone's listening and they're thinking about setting up a business, what would be, what are their choices and what would you recommend? So you've got, like you said, sole tradership, you've got a partnership, you've got LLP and you've got limited, <clears throat> and then you've got your CIC and your charities. So your CIC is your community, uh, community interested company so that's basically someone that gives a percentage of their property back to the uh, profit back to the community 
on the way going forward. Um, they're quite interesting, they're very difficult, and you're normally going to incur quite a lot of accountancy fees for that, because nine times out of ten, they'll need a chartered accountant. So if you need a chartered accountant for that, you're looking at a minimum of 500 to 1,000 pounds to do a set of accounts. <clears throat> so <clears throat> unless you're really hell-bent on having a CIC, I wouldn't bother personally. Um, sole tradership, sole tradership is more predominantly found within the trades. So within the trade system, basically someone sets up, gets a load of tools, and then just starts going to work as a subby. Um, a lot of those people are unfortunately falling under IR35, which has been postponed for 12 months. So IR35 basically has a credibility check. So the credibility check will say, here's five questions. If any of these five questions, if three or more, answer incorrectly, basically, then you should be employed. Like, if you're a subby that's going to site every day and swinging your armor all day, working for the same person all the time, but then that person is working for other people where he's sending you, um, you provide your own tools, that's one thing, it's fine. Can you send someone in your place? If the answer is no, then you're probably not self-employed because the idea of being self-employed is if I'm doing your bookkeeping, I can have anyone sit here and do the bookkeeping for me, for you, as an employed person. Yeah. You wouldn't begrudge that, but then if I was employed by you and I sent my wife in to do your bookkeeping, you'd be like, well, holy, she's not out very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's the basic, <clears throat> that's the sort of credibility or eligibility check that for the IR35, which a lot of freelancers are falling victim to at the moment. Because As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. What a lot of contractors will do is they will push you down the route of being self-employed. Now, the reason for that is because they don't have to pay an IFIL. Yeah. They don't have to pay tax. And they don't have to pay you pension or holiday pays. Now, IR35 is saying that even if you are the subcontractor, if you fall into these rules, then you should be getting the same benefits as someone working by the side of it who's actually employed. So <clears throat> that's led to a couple of issues with a lot of self-employed people. Then you've got your partnership then, which is a basic split. So partnerships are basically, you can buy into a partnership as well. So it hasn't got to be 
50-50 split, they can be structured on whatever you, it's normally structured on what who brought to the table. So you see partnerships a lot in accountancy firms and in solicitors firms where partners yeah. then basically buy a place at the table and so to speak. So they'd say, I'll put 25 grand in, I'll come in as a partner from this day forward. And when I leave, I'll take my 25 grand's worth of percentage of what the actual capital of the business is, and I'll take that with me. Um, it's not too dissimilar from a limited business or a limited liability partnership. The only difference is, and this is the big one for me, and it's not financial, the big difference is the legal structure. So as a self-employed person or a partnership where you're self-employed, you two are liable for all the debt of the company. So if something happens to your company, say for argument's sake, someone fell, banged their head, your insurance didn't cover that exact scenario, which sometimes happens, then that means that anything you hold personally is now liable to be sold to pay for the debt, debt of the company, because the company debt is yours. Do you mean? When you're limited, a limited company is set up as what we call a separate entity, so it's a separate legal entity. So that's the difference between you two, basically. So basically, you're two different people. If you set up a company and you two are directors of that company, then your, your company becomes the third different person. So if anything happens in the company, even if you're a director or a direct employee, then you are not liable unless you've acted unlawfully. So as long as you've stuck up your end of the bargain, done everything correct, then they will basically come to the table and say, right, okay, the company owes a thousand pounds worth of debt. It only has 500. We are taking 500 and liquidating your company. And then your personal belongings have got nothing to do with that calculation. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. No. Did you know that? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, because well, I've, I've had the two limited companies before, so yeah, with, with a partnership. Yeah, so you, yeah, you basically have like, like you were explaining it very well, like a third person. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I knew that it was limited responsibility. That's yeah. why I know what limited stands for. But so, say for example, then, um, so I'm just about to set up a business, and yeah. you know, I'm going to be a dog walker right yeah. well effectively i don't really need to be a limited company unless there's you know because obviously there's a lot more it's, there's a lot of pros and cons on both isn't there yeah yeah um to me there's less cons there's less cons to limited companies it just says yeah. protection structured protection of your personal assets do you know what I mean? so, so what about the financial costs as in accountancy costs so <laughs> So you account them to charge you more. We don't. We charge okay. it's just one work for us. So the reason our company is structured in the way it is, is we are structured in a way that we do everything for you. The reason behind that is it's easier for us. So yes, yeah. it's, it's less time consuming for me to do your bookkeeping day to day after I understand your business. After the first two months, I know exactly how your business operates. So it's easier for me to close every month off as if I'm working in a in a larger firm like a college or a school or something. So if I'm yeah. closing your month off every month, then your year end is just an end of month. So as long as I'm doing your depreciation, as long as I'm applying all your things correctly, I'm running all your payroll journals, I'm running all your prepayments and your accruals, and I'm running these month on month on month on month. So by the time I get a year end, there's no massive amount of adjustments, and anything that didn't make sense will be in the notes. So for argument's sake, if I couldn't find something, but then, if we do it on an annual basis and I phone you up on the 1st of April saying, Jim, what did you spend money for last March? 
Well, last May you spent forty-five quid. What was that for? Yeah. And that now time for you to find out. But if I say to you, Jim, what did you spend forty-five quid on Friday? Oh, that was for doing. So it just makes our job yeah. easier. More, it makes it less disjointed and a smoother transition, to be honest. But it is a, it is a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, and that's why we use a lot of systems. We've developed quite a bulletproof system at the moment. It does quite a lot of the stuff for us, to be honest. Yeah, I mean. I'm, it, 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 it almost feels now like I'm, I'm digging. But as a we we remained as a partnership um, because as a business it was just a decision that we've made for ourselves. But you know, at some point we will be going limited. Is that trans? So you know, I started off as a sole trader, then Charlotte came into the business, we became a partnership. Is it a big transition then if we then decide to go to take the same company into a limited company? Oh, you'd probably be looking at selling your company to your new limited company. <clears throat> so that would normally go in as direct as long as construction. So basically, if you two are a 50-50 partnership and you become yeah. a 50-50 company, then you both transfer all of your assets and everything else into the limited company and then sell all the business to the limited company, which the goodwill is then paid out. You two guys will have a tax liability if any money is paid out to you or if any purchase is done. However, when you sell it to the company or gift it to the company, then as you continue to operate, then the value of your director's loans will then chip away as your dividends. So basically, you won't pay. So you've already paid tax on the money you've earned in your, in your partnership. So if you've yeah. got 10 grand worth of stuff in your partnership, you've already made tax two grand. So that eight grand is left will be given to the company. But then when yeah. the company can to and then starts giving that back you don't then pay tax again so it's very important for you to make sure that you're keeping really good records of everything that you give into the company or sell into the company because that's yeah. what you have to have back tax free the amount of times we see people do that jump without consulting people or consulting the wrong people and then basically taking money out as dividends and salary and then therefore paying through the notice of back and tax and everything else so technically, they're paying it twice. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. I mean, yes, it's it's because I've, I've been to you know when when people are starting out, it's very daunting. Um, so we have somebody at the moment who's sort of starting out um, with her cleaning business, and I thought she was going to come on today, but um, she's got a little one, so it might be because of that. But she was a little bit baffled, I think, about, you know, because um, as a cleaning company, you, you might have accidents that happen. So would you then recommend to perhaps go limited, even though it's obviously just starting out? Yes, 100%. The second you start employing people that are going to be on other people's premises, I would make sure you're limited. If you're selling anything that gets applied to skin, eaten, worn, anything like that, anything you supply, and if you're supplying products, I definitely 100% say that you need to be limited, especially if you're in a supply chain. So let's take for argument, say you're in a supply chain and you provide bike seats. So you buy bike seats from somebody that sells bike seats and you sell them to the general public. Now, if that bike seat snaps and that person falls off it, who's liable for that? Is it the manufacturer or is it the person that resold it? Person who sold it. So does your insurance cover you for supply chain or did you just take out business protection insurance? Mm. It's a very common mistake and it happens a lot. And that, unfortunately, would lead to bankruptcy and quite a lot of people, depending on the severity of the injury and the severity of damage caused to property. 
but ultimately that's just a simple straightforward one now if you're limited the only thing they can take is your company and your company's belongings if that failed for manufacturers reasons then what will happen is is the supply chain works as source so general public so company they purchased from company that purchased company that sold the general public then sues company that supplied the product so there's a chain so they have to basically take us to court and tell us, right, you sold me a dodgy bike, so you know, on my money back, and you caused this much, I couldn't work for X amount of months. We then have to pay that out, and then we take the findings of that and then return to the larger company. Unfortunately, that larger company is normally either in the EU or America. It's normally much, much bigger, and it's going to take a very long time to recover that money. So nine times out of ten, that leads to the liquidation of the, of the supplier, of the individual person that's selling to that company. If that person was a sole trader, they could effectively lose their house, the car, all their personal belongings, and everything goes with it, and have to start again. But that, in that situation, yeah. that's not a negligent point. That's a point where there's been defect on an item that was resold, but you, as a reseller, have a, have a responsibility and a legal responsibility to check that all things are pressure tested. Do you mean that shouldn't just come from I bought it from Dave's bikes, and Dave's bikes has never had a problem? Well, yeah, but you're selling an item. So if you've bought that item to resell it, you have to make sure that that passes quality checks on your So technically, you are then liable for that. Do you mean so? A limited company would protect you in that situation. So what about? Um, obviously, we have um, a marketplace. So you know, dropship companies in general, right? Um, and effectively, the principle of what we do is drop shipping. But you know, let's take Amazon for example, or uh, you know, companies along them so lines. So the, the customer buys off off our website, yeah, and that 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 generates an email to go to the person who makes or sells that product, and then they send that product directly to the customer, right? So there is a supply chain, however we're not supplying the actual product, we're just supplying the transaction. Would we then fall it within the product range? However you are, you're advertising the product, so you're selling it. Even if you're not um, basically fulfilling it, you're still selling it. So I speak to a solicitor on that, to be honest, is my 100% advice. Because as much as you're not selling the item, you are selling the item, you just don't physically have the item. So if you chose the item, say for argument's sake, you've chosen the item and it's got an allergy, something to do with allergies, and if that then gets delivered to someone, they give it to their kid, the kid gets seriously ill because of that allergy. Is that your fault or is that their fault? Was it listed if because if it wasn't listed on their website of the ingredients to it, and then wasn't listed on your website the ingredients to it, then technically you both have a responsibility to provide the ingredients because you both sell them. That is that's super interesting. That really is super interesting. And I mean, from this podcast, it's making me think about how you know how we structure what we do. And you know, we're I'm gonna blow our own trumpet. We're very good at what we do, but I'm not an accountant, um, and I'm not an insurance broker. So, and I don't claim to be. Um, but it is very interesting in the where the legal implications come into it. And if you're starting out a business. Um, you know, you may not think about those legal implications, which is why a podcast like this is is so important it's for people to really think about what it is that they're talking about. And and also, I think when you think about an accountant, you don't think about that kind of knowledge that you've just shared with us today. 
I think that's a fair statement, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think people are really scared um, when they. So I, I had um, a limited company previously because there were three partners, and we we luckily the one of the partners' fathers was an accountant, so it was fairly easy for us. Um, very similar to yourself, so they basically did the month end every month, um, and we kind of just signed it off, and it was very easy to do. Um, but I think when you're starting out, especially if it's your first business and you're not perhaps taking a salary from it because you're putting it back into the company, um, it becomes very daunting with the fees that comes and the accountancy that's needed for a limited company, which is why I think so many people choose not to go limited and go sole trading, which is partly what we're doing because we're building up a membership. Yeah, which is, that's basically why we offer our service in the way we do. So it's an inclusive price. <clears throat> it's an inclusive price. It includes everything you need and we do everything for you. So basically you're paying me to be in accounts department. You just raise invoices and go to work. You know what I mean? So by doing that, when we have our monthly meetings, most of my monthly meetings are conversations like we've just had about the legal implications structure. You know what I mean, it's very rare that people talk about profitability. People want the opportunity to talk about, right, what's the best way for me to have a car from business? Is it better to lease? Is it better to buy? Is it better to rent? Is it better to use my own vehicle and then try to get an expense back? Do you mean, um, right, okay, we've got this coming up. We're going to need cash flow reports because we've got to make sure that we can fulfill the consignments that we're actually taking on and things like that. So it becomes more conversational rather than rather than numeric, to be honest, which is great because it, it, it applies to our brain as well. Like, because the more things we get presented with, obviously, the more knowledge we gain as well from the other side of it so we always enjoy that part of it to be honest mm. yeah it's you've, you've obviously got a passion for what you do and and i think that that stands up like so when you how old how old are you now lee so odd. i was born in 87 so i'm not very good on my ass <laughs> think about how old he was <laughs> Um, I'm I just going to say, thank goodness it's not a lady. Yeah, you never think, ask someone, Larry. No, no, <laughs> there is a reason why I asked it. Do you know what I mean? I don't just randomly. It wasn't a chat up lately. So, but when, how old were you when you went into business? How old was I when I went into business? Well, two years ago on my own. But to be honest, this is my first like structured business. But I've been self-employed most of my life. So I'm a carpenter by trade. Um, I help my own man run his taxi business. Of course you are. How did I not know that you were a carpenter by trade? I got a bloody thing full of tools in it. So a carpenter by trade. Um, then the 2008 crisis happened, uh, which led to basically nobody building anything. So that was the end yeah. of that. Worked in a factory for a week. That's not for me. And then... Um, <laughs> Went from there to work for kitchen fitting and stuff then. Then that crumbled as well, as everything did after 2008. So by about 2010, I went to basically work with my old man with a taxi firm. That's not for me either. Got <laughs> <laughs> more involved with the business side of it. Um, and then from getting involved with the business side of it, then built up knowledge about bookkeeping, about accounting. Worked with his accountant then, and done quite a lot with him. Then built a bit of knowledge up from there. And then basically decided, right, okay, I'm going to go and do the AAT. Um, went to the AAT, then went to work for the college, then Mega Council. After Mega and Monmouth Council, I went and quite a big job for them. And then went to work for ICE. was with ICE for about two years. And then decided to go and start my own. Mate, that basically. is a fantastic yeah, and, yeah. But you know what, I think 
I think out of everything, that is what makes you unique as an accountant is because you've you haven't just done accountancy. And I think a lot of as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Accountants, they go to school, they go to college, they, they learn about accountancy, and all they know is the figures and the numbers. And, and I think for a lot of businesses, it's not enough. I think companies need to have someone in there that knows what it's like to, to run on the floor as well. And I, I think that's where your, would you say that that was one of your USPs? Yeah, I'd say that's my main USP. So the thing is, as much as I'm an accountant and I enjoy the accountancy side of business, I do. It's, that's why I built a business around it. So I built a business I enjoy, so I haven't got to work. Do you mean I go to work and do what I enjoy? <laughs> so as sad as it sounds, it is what it is. There's all types of people that make up the world. We and get, mine's yeah, here at the we get that, yeah. So, the big one for me is. Oh, I believe I we've come from, from a traditional. Hello, Lee, are you there? Yeah, hello, mate. Okay, so you've just come back in. So we had a little bit of a freeze there in the uh, show. Joys of live. Um, so what were you saying there? Sorry, Lee. So yeah, I think. That's one of the that's one of the big differences with what we offer. Do you mean? So I've yeah. I've come from a background of not having a salary. Do you know I mean? So working working carpentry, you're pretty much guaranteed. I was pretty much employed. I would fail the IR thirty five when I was doing chipping. Um, then when I went to work for my dad and was doing a bit for him with the taxi and with the business side of things, it becomes a lot more. You have to make money. Do you know what I mean? And then um, basically. After after Welsh Ice, I left Welsh Ice to work for someone that was in Welsh Ice. It was a little bit further gone than what I thought it was, so it didn't last as long as I anticipated. So it was about two to three months, and then it, it unfortunately failed. But the big thing with it is, is during that time, I literally walked into that office with the person that was running the company and showed him basically what I would do with his financial structure and everything, to which his response was, Everyone needs this. You need to sell it. You need to sell to everyone. So he was involved predominantly with gyms and people in the fitness industry. So he tried yeah. to basically 
on our service and what I was doing to his service. But like I said, it was too far gone. They weren't making enough money. There were too many expenses. There'd been a couple of fundamental mistakes made in the beginning with some document signing, with some contract action and things like that. If we'd got involved about six months earlier, I probably would have saved the company. But as a result, I got paid my final pay on the Friday. Um, I've got three children and my wife was pregnant with our fourth. I've got two dogs and live in a small terrorist house. So it wasn't an option for me. The, the type of job that I wanted, which was management accountancy and things, you're talking two to three months to get a job for a high-level role like that. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that's what I said. I reckon I can do it on my own. I reckon I got something. So then basically that's when I started Plutus Consultancy then, which the idea of Plutus was to develop the idea and make enough money to survive. So the idea was I'll take anything that comes to me, but in the process, I'm building up a system to make accountancy as simple as possible for the end user. Now, <clears throat> I was fortunate in that way because I think what happens, this is not a dig on accountants or anything like that. I'm not starting a fight or a war or nothing, right? So basically what happens, I wouldn't fight you. <laughs> there's no, there is no fight. <laughs> so the traditional, the traditional accountancy practice is normally run by one or two partners. What they yeah. do is they take individuals from high level qualifications and um, high level qualifications and from university, and then they take those students and they then push them into the ACCA or SEMA or the AACA and push them into a recognized professional accountancy qualification. What they do as, a, as an add-on to that is they pay them a reduced amount because technically they classed as apprenticeships. Then what they do is when they basically pay them for their education, they then sign them into a study deal where they have to work for three to five years thereafter in order to pay back the debt. Then they give them the option to buy in as a partner to become a more senior role and things like that. Now, yeah. what that is, is the older person running the practice is running the practice and working in their day-to-day. -day. The people below him, who are the smaller people or the younger people, are trying to become that partner. So who's thinking about innovating and changing the way the accountancy is done? Because everyone's too busy. So nobody's innovating. Nobody's changing things. That's why it's been the same for 100 years. It works, but there are. But in the last three years, there have been massive jumps in AI and automation. I mean, absolutely. And I think but it's going to be even more of a case the case now. I'd be surprised it? if bookkeeping's even a job in two years. Yeah. I mean, so the way it's going, you've got to adapt or die. That's what that's what thing is all about. That's what evolution is all about. And unfortunately, we are going down that road at the moment. So I took the opportunity for a year or possibly more to develop this into a bulletproof idea where I could just go to someone, here's an app, here's my phone number, if you need me, give me a shot. And then I run your business in the back end and you don't need anything. Because that's ultimately what people want. They want to know that things are being done correctly. And why do people lose money when they're in business? Uh, why do people lose sleep when they're in business? It's money. It's always money. It's never anything else. It's, oh, shit, I can't pay my staff. Um, I ain't got money to pay my rent. I mean, am I going to be able to buy, am I going to put diesel in my car to get to work? Now, if you've never been an entrepreneur, started a business on the bones and built it into a company, even if you didn't build it into a company, even if it failed, if you've never been in that situation, how can you advise someone in that situation? Yeah, very, very good advice, I must say. Um, it's because um, <laughs> it's well, I, I, I yeah.
Um, I, the business I had, obviously, I went through 2008 when the recession hit. 2009 was actually worse for us. Uh, yeah. We went through it and, and we managed to get out the other end with lots of um, different things and thinking outside the box. But like you said, if you've never been in that situation, if you've never had to live with nothing, you can't really advise people um, of, of how to survive in that situation, I think. So the system that you built and set up, that's purely um, yours and and doesn't really exist outside of Olympus Accountancy, is that right? Right, so how it works is everything we use works. Everything we use works and everything we use, people can go straight in off the high street and buy it yourself. You can do everything yourself. But you can also buy a laptop without Windows yourself. Doesn't mean you'll be able to put Windows on it. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. Basically, what you've done, Lee, is you've you've not reinvented the wheel. This is a phrase that we use a lot, <laughs> so you'll understand it. But yeah. we've not reinvented the wheel. We've just taken all the best wheels and put them in one place, and that is basically what you've done. Am I right? So we've we filed softwares are ah, friggin' hundreds. I probably had about nine CRMs in the last year. To be honest, before I said. <laughs> Three different client portals. I've had to, the only thing that stayed structured and the same is you know and hub doc all the way through. We've used different plugin tools, different reviewing tools, different reporting tools, basically trying to find the right the right fit. But ultimately it works in the way that I'm not afraid to be in the trenches of someone's business. Don't know why some people are. I don't understand why everyone doesn't do this. I don't. At the end of the day, it it works and it's very simple. It's very simple. It's a very simple business model. If I'm involved from start to finish, then I haven't got to worry about dropping something about someone passes me. You know what I mean? Because if anything happens, I know it's down to us. It's not down to someone else. So I haven't got to look at someone's accounts and go, I don't know why they put that in the suspense. And then chase you for three days, asking me why you put something in suspense. Then you don't reply, and then your accounts get fired again. Then you get fired. There's nothing I can really do about that if you don't reply to me, because I can't just leave it there. I mean, it's got to be moved and allocated correctly. Whereas if it's in the suspense, it's probably me that did it. If I'm doing your accounts, so I should have made notes. If I haven't made notes, it's my problem to sort it out. So it's no longer your responsibility to make sure that that's done correctly. It's now mine. And then it's your responsibility to sign it off as correct. And that's pretty much it. So it just takes out all the manual side of things. All the keeping boxes of receipts and that. Those days are gone. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm not very good with boxes. I throw everything out, mate. I'm, I'm a nightmare. Well, my previous boss that I worked for, he used to just empty his wallet and just put everything on my desk. It was like, here you yeah. go. Yeah, sort out what's okay and what's not. But no, that's, that's just literally what we do, to be honest. So our job is, look, I don't want, I want everyone, and I mean everyone, to succeed in what they do. I don't think anyone should work for people. I think everyone should work for themselves. I think everyone should. Everyone's got the idea of it. Everyone's got an idea that someone else doesn't think about. So the fear, the, the fear comes into it, and the fear of failure or the fear of success. Like. So, but it, it's fine. Like it really is, as long as you've got the correct support. As long as you've got the correct support. So if you don't understand it, pay someone else to do it. Do you mean like I wouldn't be in charge of my own website? Pay someone else to do it. it it's yeah. Well. I'm smiling because it feel, I feel like I've had this conversation before and then I realised I did. 
between me and you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it really is. Like, that is my motto. And that's, you know, we are publishing the why of our business. Uh, and our why is to reinvest um, our profits into other people, right? And reinvest our profits into young people to help them build their business uh, and become uh, a successful company. And, you know, a lot of people say, why do you want to do that? And and I, and some people have said, well, but you're crazy. And I'm like, well, we don't need the money. It's, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this because we don't want to work for someone else. So all we need to do is earn a living. But the structure and the model of our company, like yours, is actually bigger than us. So what I want to do is use what is there, the surplus, and invest in young people around us. And you know, we're hoping to, 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 to take that on board and, and really run with that. So, and we will be bringing these young people into our community. Now you're in our community as well. So I'll be directing these young people to you at a later stage. What would be your advice for someone that is thinking about starting up their own business? What, what would be your, your golden nugget advice? So the, the biggest thing that I would say is my golden nugget of advice. It doesn't come down to structure and everything else. It comes down to obsession. I don't think, I think you have to be obsessed with it in the beginning because otherwise it won't work. Simple as that. Like in the beginning, I went to work for nearly three months, six till six every day, then drove taxis in the evening in order to make my business work. So for the first three months of my business, I had a deal with my own man where I could drive taxis in the evening to make enough money to feed my family when I built my business in the day. So I was there six till six in the day, and then from seven till 12 every night, I'd be working in a taxi as well, because bills still, still need to be paid. So the only way that you've got to do it is you've got to be, you've got to be unreasonable. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be obsessed with it. It's the same thing with being successful as a fighter, being successful as a sportsman, being successful in anything. It takes time. It takes time and time and time. You can't go to work. If you want to go to work, 10 till 4 every day, then being an entrepreneur is not for you. I'm not saying you won't be like that later on, because you will, because now my work in my work life balance is marvelous. Like I literally work in my garden. I leave here and walk down to my house to get a cup of coffee. So I mean I can afford to have a half hour off in a day if I want to and go and sit down with the kids or something. But that yeah. wasn't available in the beginning. So the first thing is it's gonna be hard, you're gonna be skinned, and nobody's gonna help it. If you think like that then you'll be all right because you will find people that help you. You won't be as skinny as you thought. You can run your household on a lot less money than what you thought you could. And it will all balance out and work. But it's got to be, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be obsessed with it and disciplined. And that to me is the reason why this company's work. I think that's, you know, I think that's probably the <clears throat> But I think that's also because, um, like you said, everyone should kind of run their own business. I find that the people that like to go and work for somebody else um, are usually people that perhaps have another hobby. So they might be yeah. into sport or like my father, for example, he loved going to his work. He had his mates there and it was sort of finished at four o'clock, but he loves his country music and has his radio mm. program. So that is almost like his business. And I find that a lot of people that I've met uh, throughout life, that's what they have. So if your business isn't your passion, your passion might perhaps be some something else that you're not earning money from, but it's a passion. But that's why you would like to go in and do work and go home and do something else. 
Yeah, there's there's a big thing to be said for that. If you're passionate about something or you're good at something, then find a way to make money from it. <laughs> that's what the entrepreneurial thing is, in my opinion. Is finding something. I'm just something thinking, you... if my dad is listening, he'll be opening up a business <laughs> now with a radio program. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> no, try it. You haven't got to make yourself a millionaire. You've only got to make enough to keep a roof over your head. That's literally it. Yeah. It's not all about how much money you can make or whether you can be rich or whether you can build the next skyscraping company. It's about can I make enough to sustain my living? Can I make enough to feed myself and my children? And what's my work-life balance after that? Do you know what I mean? I come to work every day and do what I enjoy. It's crazy, really. And then, like you said, where you reinvest stuff, we sponsor fighters. So I sponsor fighters. I, I'm basically sponsoring someone in a bare knuckle boxing match now in London, basically. It's all legitimate and above. So for BKB, we sponsor an athlete, Geraint Hill. So we're looking to sponsor them. We're looking to sponsor as many athletes as we can really fighting wise because it's a tough old game. I mean, it's something I was passionate about when I was younger. So the advertising is all right, but it's not really about that. That's, yeah, it's funny how in line we actually are as as two people from two completely different backgrounds, running really. like basically two completely different businesses. I mean, me and Charlotte are obviously in line. We know what we want. How we want it, but to, to have it, you know, to have a conversation with someone and go, actually, we've got we share the same ethos. It's really, really yeah. interesting, and and I think anybody listening in um, to the show, anyone who knows us as a business and knows us as people, will be thinking, you know, that we've sort of handpicked you and we haven't. Um, but I it, didn't actually know <laughs> anything about you apart from saying hello that well time. <laughs> came from more of a random conversation i think so we joined your hub obviously that was more so yeah. the case of the support side of things you come from pretty much the same place we did so it's all with andy so we chucked ourselves on to it and then basically there was a conversation about podcasts i thought eh, i don't mind jamie i'll have a chat then on camera <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people go that but some people go mm, uh, you know i suppose jamie's there but yeah we like charlotte <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. 
So, okay, so we need to kind of draw it to an end. Now, you had a couple of questions. You, well, you I've had asked. a lot of people ask, and I've had friends who were furloughed and then gone back and working uh, on the scheme that's going on at the moment, which is quite confusing, I think. Can yes. you tell us more about that, what's happening at the moment? So how the flexible furlough works is it basically gives you 80% of your wage on the days that there's not enough work for you and 100% on the days that there is enough of the wage for you. So basically what that means is out of five days, if you go back to work in one or two, then your salary gets topped up to 100% on those two days or those one or two days. Do you know what I mean? So your employer can still gain 80% of your salary, but they now pay in the difference when you're back in work, which to me is a really good idea because it allows people almost like a university-basic income. So it allows people a basic income that they've been used to for the last three months. And when the company starts, so let's say for argument, take a restaurant. Though that restaurant's been told it's allowed to open, right? It's had its actual amount of people per time cut to a quarter, right? So that means that they, they turn over drop by 75%. Now, most of the overheads with restaurants and things are probably going to be fixed. I mean, so you've got like your machine rent and everything like that. The only things that are going to be flexible and increase with usage are going to be your raw materials, which in coffee is only your cakes, your milk, your coffee, your electric, things like that. Most of the things are going to be static charges like your rent, I mean, your rates, all of the other things that go with it, I mean, your maintenance costs, your salaries, all of these things are predominantly fixed by the amount of people that you've got coming in. But then the problem with that is, is if you as a business owner can run it, more or less on your own, but you get really busy on a Thursday, then you can still keep that person employed on 80%, bring them back in, and then top the wage up on that Thursday that they come back to work. So I think it's a really good initiative announced by the government. I've got to say one thing. I know people have bashed Boris and, and the Chancellor. I think they've done a marvellous job with the way that they support the businesses, to be honest. We started this, we started the pandemic with 41 companies, and we finished it with 45. So... We haven't lost anyone. Nobody's gone under. Everyone struggled a little bit, but they've all survived more or less. I don't think we're out to the woods yet, but I don't see any massive financial trouble being hit by a lot of the businesses we're with. So I think everybody took the positive steps. You know what I mean, I think I think you're right. I think most people are taking positive steps. The the one thing I'm I'm sort of scared about with the system that's been put into place now are people who work. Um, and kind of already doing two jobs instead of one because they got made somebody redundant. And it's happened in a company I know recently. So they made a, one lady redundant and the other lady is now taking over the other part of the job as well. Do you think that's going to happen more and more? Do you think people will abuse the furlough system? I think it's less less about abusing the system and more about a lot of a lot of owners of medium to large size companies are too detached from the day to day delivery of their service. So they don't actually know what it takes to deliver that service. And a lot of them have got too much space. The offices are too big. There's no need for someone to drive an hour and 40 minutes to log on to a computer to do work that they could do from home. As long as you were monitoring that person correctly, then why are you paying for an office that's costing like four grand and got a massive carbon footprint? I mean, all the work that that person's, all the emissions that person's using driving to work, you've got 200 people or 300 people to work in that month. I can't do that from the house on a laptop. I mean, I think the way that people work will change. And I think that will unfortunately lead to a lot of redundancies because people will see that you don't need three people to do the job, you only 
you need one with the right system in place. So I think this is the opportunity for automation to take over because people are, people are scared of AI. A lot of people are scared of AI. AI is already here. That's how you get adverts on Facebook when you've been talking to your partner about something. Or well, the last time you Googled something on your phone and your other half actually looked on their phone and they seen an advert for you were Googling because you're on a shared IP. Do you know I mean? These things, this is all automation anyway. It's all automated. It's not something else. Like how many, how many contacts do you get through your bloody website from people saying they want your services? Get hundreds. There's all from a bot. So I mean, it's all, it's all AI. So I think redundancies are going to be quite heavy, and I think they're going to be even heavier over the next two to three years as companies start to struggle on a monetary use. Not only that, I think people's buying habits will change. So people will realise they don't need to spend thousand pound on a phone. People don't need to buy the things that they've been buying because if you've gone three months without doing certain things, and do you really need to waste money going back to it? So then that might change the structure of the actual landscape of what people sell, which will then lead to redundancies because there'll be different people for different jobs. So I think it's quite a, quite a transformative time that we're going into. It's going to be quite, quite interesting to see, to be honest. It is going to be interesting to see because I think, um, obviously, there is a lot of money still around, and like where you were working before, um, Honda, mm -hmm. Um, you know, people were treating themselves to motorbikes during the pandemic, um, and it's not something you would think somebody would go out and buy, but still, people need those treats. And um, and a firm in London for doing dinner service for a thousand pounds a head. I mean, so there's still a lot of money around. Um, so people still want the treats, but whether they're, you know, where it's going to go, it's it's really hard to say. I think it'll be really hard to see what survives and what kind of um don't survive if you if i think you need to have the automation systems in place and therefore yes i think it's going to be a lot of redundancies yes but i think maybe that will also lead to people doing what they want to do um, and we've seen it already yeah. haven't we with a passion i think something. we're going to have a business boom yeah I think, I think we're going to have a small business boom because I've, we've seen it even on our streets where we live people say actually I've now had time to do what I love to do and I would love to sell it or I would love to be able to you know work part-time so I can do my hobbies well we've seen what well, poor companies we've worked with poor companies that already helping them set up to get to the stage where they're running a business yeah because the biggest thing I think is the least affected by this pandemic were the smaller micro-entity businesses they most of those are still alive the large firms yeah. that have massive amount of staff and things like the amount of the amount of backlash that was given to people like Richard Branson and things like that. Those operating costs are insane. The amount of money that that person would be spending, or of all of these larger companies, BA, Virgin, freaking Radio One, things like that. The amount of money that those people are spending is incredible. So the amount of turnover they've got to have coming in, if that tap suddenly gets turned off, there's even if you've got a million pound in a bank, you're only looking at a one to two month runway for them companies, you know what I mean, for the size of them. So by the time you paid all your staff furloughs and things like that, if that's done retrospectively, you might not be there by the time the furlough company pay up. So there was a lot of that as well, to be honest, because a lot of people have been impacted, like larger businesses, your overheads are astronomical. So you have to get a minimum amount of this many sales every day, otherwise you're in serious trouble. And when you start getting in trouble, it doesn't go like this. It goes, I'm gone. That's, that's it. Like it either drops off or it doesn't. Something else I said right at the beginning. When when we went into this pandemic, 
um, everyone is worried about businesses and and you know the small businesses and I was like I don't think it's the small businesses that are going to suffer the small businesses can survive on low incomes it's the big businesses the ones that have got high incomes and overheads and high overheads. overheads and I use yeah. B&Q as an example I mean B&Q have got what 400 shops across the UK you know mm. what what's their rent you know what what are their rent charges oh, alone incredible. yeah incredible yeah. Then the problem with that is, so they go to the landlord for rent relief. Let's say they rent the place, right? Let's say they don't purchase. Um, I don't yeah. know the ins and outs of it. I'd probably find out in a couple of hours, but let's say we we just say they rent. So if yeah. they rent all of those, if they rent all of those properties, you realise now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole tonight and find out if being like being Q only properties are bad, but that's a different conversation. So <laughs> is, um, let's say they rent, right? But then. The company that owns that, let's call them Holdings Limited. So if Holdings Limited own 90% of the property to B&Q rent, right? But then B&Q ask for a rent holiday for three months, then how is Holdings Limited going to pay its rent? Because it's got a mortgage or it's got yeah. maintenance. Of that rent. So then the problem well, is that's, that's B&Q exactly what we're about. someone's got to put the bill on. B&Q don't go in there. But they might as well because when the company above being good under, they haven't got anywhere to stay. And if nobody got money to buy it, then they come out and they board it up. But then being good wouldn't be in a position to buy those because they've just suffered an economic crisis. So this all becomes a knock-on effect. So this is where someone has to someone has to take the bullet eventually. Do you know I mean? So it's just being passed up the chain, and that's where the issue is. And ultimately, it all goes back to the banks because if the bank owns the property and is mortgaging it to Holdings Limited, who is then renting it B&Q at a premium. B&Q then can't pay Holdings. Holdings can't then pay the bank, which means that the bank now has bad debt. The company goes into liquidation. They then lose the property. They buy the property back, or they get given the property back. Then who are you going to sell it to? Everyone's gone bust. So the problem is now you've got a building that's worth 100,000 or 150,000. No one's selling it. Well, you can't give that to someone as a loan because it's a building. So that means then the, the value of the treasury and the value of the banks all start to crumble. And then we get a repeat of 2008. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We've, we've, we've said about this. Like, yeah. I, I know I keep referring to this, but I've had these conversations, these exact <laughs> conversations. And one of the things yeah. I said to Charlotte was, it's all well and good, everyone having the knock-on, but who puts the bill? Someone has to foot the bill because otherwise, if there was no bill to be questioned for, and everyone was earning 100% profit, then that would ask that would answer a bigger question, wouldn't it? But that's not how business runs, you know. Like I've I, I've got this notepad, and 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 quite frankly, I own this notepad, right? So if, if Charlotte needed to borrow this notepad for a couple of hours, I could lend it to her for absolutely no cost whatsoever. But if I had this notepad on on lease or as a leasehold, someone would have to foot the bill. And probably a very bad example, but I knew where I was going with it. And, and, and this is where people are struggling with the understanding of the situations where we are at the moment, is people aren't looking at the bigger picture, they're only looking at the small picture. And the bigger picture is someone has to foot the bill. And unfortunately, the money for that bill has to then be found. And the only way that you're going to find that that money is to reduce your costings. And that is where it is going to cause another massive problem because you're going to have companies go, do you know what? I've spent six months 
Um, all my staff are working from home. I've got a two million pound property that I'm paying stupid amount of rent or mortgage on. I don't need that property. I can reduce the lighting costs. I can reduce the internet costs. I can reduce all yeah. of this costings. So now you then so our recession is not necessarily going to be the end of people's jobs. Our recession is going to be empty properties. So what's the and, big thing that comes from that? Though? So the big thing that comes from that is that helps us as a country. Because if they reduce the amount of money they spend on an overhead, they increase the profit, which means they increase the taxation, which means they put more money back into the economy. Mm. Because we've saved that money. But ultimately, <clears throat> we've all taken out to that pot for the last four months. Yeah. Someone's got someone's got to put it back. So exactly. I'm yeah. now is to reduce VAT. I don't know if that's the right move. Because by doing that. If you drop the VAT from 20 to 5% or 15%, 10%, whatever they set one, I think they decided on 5% for hospitality. Yeah, it was reduced down to 5%, if yeah. You drop it to 5%, you've just lost 15% of your turnover for your revenue on VAT for the hospitality, which is arguably one of the highest turnover ratios because everybody buys stuff in cafes and coffees and stuff like that. So that means now that their profit has increased by 15%. Your VAT and your treasury is dropped by 15%. Now that means that they'll pay more add on tax at the end of the year, but then if they've got a lot of overheads that they're still paying for because of that reduction in VAT, then how do you put the VAT back up without the company suffering? Yeah, and, and what you've got to remember as well, it's you know, so it was 20% um, of that person's income. So, you know, when you when you think about so say say for example. I sell a product for hundred pound, and instead of instead of paying twenty pound to the to the treasury, I'm now only paying five pound. Um, but when you think about it, that's the the treasury income hasn't dropped by fifteen percent. It's actually dropped by more like eighty percent mm. because of the you know when you're chunking up that that thing. So. Mm. It's, do you know what, like literally, Lee, I, I'll be honest with you, I could have a, a Lee Williams part two. I really <laughs> could. Um, I think we've we've gone into some really serious topics. We've had a bit of a laugh along the way. You know, but there, there has to be a point where I draw this interview to a close, Lee. Um, and I think I think this is a really good point to do it. But to leave on, on a high and to leave on a positive, I think if you, you know, the message that I got from this is a message I've received a lot lately is if you're going into business, give it a all, but don't worry about a plan B because if you have a plan B, plan A won't succeed. Uh, yes. And I think, I think you agree with that. We've heard that statement. Arnold Schwarzenegger once said that statement. Sue Stone has said that statement, you know, big, you know, millionaires yeah. have said that statement, um, you know, invest 100% into plan A and you won't have to worry about plan B. I think that's yeah, a, a, a little bit of a, a chestnut there. Um, look very carefully as to whether what, whether you go partnership, sole trade, or limited company. Um, and I think if if anyone wanted to ask you about that, Lee, they, I know that they can contact you via your hub listing through Cino Bounds. Um, but yeah. in the yeah in the podcast list in the podcast description, I'll put your details, Lee, as well, so that people can can come and find you and ask you uh, that advice. But from I know I want to say a massive thank you. No, yeah, massive thank you. It's been really helpful, and I know there's lots of people out there that are really going to appreciate that, even if they can't be here right now. And yeah, and I can't wait to share. Well. 
advice from us is always free. I'm not going to charge you right. 50 quid conversation with it. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, if you just need a little bit of help or you've got a question about anything, feel free to reach out. I'm always available. Lee, you're an That's absolute lovely. diamond. Thank you. That's thank, really helpful. Yeah, thank you so much. And Lee, listen, thank you for coming. Thank you from all of us. Thank you for the listeners who are listening. Uh, you know, it's been a fantastic show. And I, I think there was a little bit of something for everybody in this. So, yeah, Lee, I cannot you. thank you enough, mate. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it. That is the end of another great show. So from all of us here at Sino Bounds, and thank you to our amazing guests, we will see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.